Hi guys, 2022 HOAA merch presale is coming back August 1st through September 30th. And this time we've got men's t-shirts, women's t-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, zip up hoodies, and sweatpants, six different colors and eight sizes to choose from. Hi guys. Howdy. Welcome back to a brand new episode of History of Valenting Podcast. I am Carrie. And I am Laura. And um, <laughs> Laura, you have a bit of a distraction yes. going on that the, the listeners and the viewers might hear and see. Do you want to tell folks about that? Sure. So I'm all, uh, okay. Uh, we got a puppy. So he's in the office with me. I gave him a little like frozen peanut butter Kong thing. So you might hear him slurp or whine or do something. Hence He's the nature so of puppies. I mean, yes. Yeah. So cute. But oh my God, I forgot how much work puppies are. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, they really are. Yeah, they really are. So much. Um, and he's not even bad. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's just like, really oh my God, what did I do? <laughs> yeah. So if she dips out or like leans down for a second, that's why. Um, they got a puppy, and so poor Eddie is just, I don't even, oh, oh, I hear him. He's so cute. Um, so yeah, poor Eddie is like, excuse me, what is this giant interloper into my home? (laughs) Yeah, we're doing slow introductions, so. Yeah. Um, but I think they're going to be fine just a little bit. Like, the cat doesn't really care, but the dog is a little bit too curious, so we're going to, wow, all right, that's okay. Hi. Then we're going <laughs> to, you know, go slow. Make sure everybody's happy. Sure. Hi. Would you like to find a place to be? All right. Go ahead, dude. All right. Uh, EVPs. Guys, we don't have a lot of endless vocal prattling in this episode. Um, do you want to say, as you saw at the very beginning of the episode, we are bringing our merchandise presale back. Last year, we did a hoodie presale, and it did really, really well. And we got a lot of comments, a lot of questions from listeners um, saying, hey, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? So this time around, we have given you six clothing options to choose from, and five of those clothing options are will come in six different different colors and then our sweatpants that we're offering will come in three the sale is going to run from august 1st through september 30th so we're going to give you two full months to get your orders in sale shuts down at 8 p.m on september 30th did i say august 30th anyway august 1st through september 30th sale shuts down at 8 p.m eastern time on september 30th and i'm placing the order with our vendor we should have that by the middle of October, and then I'm going to ship everything out to all of you guys so everybody has their stuff by Halloween, fall kickoff. It's going to be great. Um, so that's the first thing. And the second thing is just a reminder that we are going to be doing um, a 
private overnight investigation of a fucking battleship, the USS North Carolina, on Saturday, July 30th. I'm very excited for that. Our intrepid Laura cannot attend this one. But um, as I... As I always try to do, I will try to do live streams on Facebook. I will try to do all of that stuff. But sometimes you get right into it and then like stuff starts happening and you you forget, honestly. A um, lot goes on in paranormal investigations. So that's all I have. Laura, how about you? Nothing. Just puppy. That's all I got. Puppy Puppies. is... I'm losing my voice a little bit, so I apologize if it's <laughs> a little... I'm a little rough around the edges today. A little rough around the edges. All right, great. Well, then that's that on that. Laura, why don't you tell them where we're taking them today? Today, we are going to the old Royal Victoria Hospital in Montreal, Canada. Yeah. Oh, yes, we are, Hercules, and you're just going to like it. <laughs> now we have a critic. Um, <laughs> what are your sources today, babe? My sources today are wikipedia.org, MT. The mtblog.com, I can't read, and globalnews.ca. So all of this is going to go really well today. Awesome. All, all right. right. Off to the races. Let's go. <laughs> all right. So the Royal Victoria Hospital, uh, colloquially known as the Royal Vic or the Vic, is a hospital in Montreal, Canada. Um, it forms the biggest base hospital of the McGill University Health Center, which is affiliated with McGill University. Cool. The hospital was established in 1893 and was based at Pine Avenue until 2015 when major hospital operations were moved to the Glen site, uh, named for the former Glen Railway Yards. It's fucking um, huge. This building is oh, it's huge. so big. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'd show you pictures, but I forgot to put them together. I'm so sorry, guys. We'll put it on our social media. The original hospital was designed by the Scottish architect Henry Snell, who from the 1860s um, had made a name for himself in England and Scotland as a leading specialist in the design of hospitals, um, particularly Mm. in London. Um, Constructed of Montreal limestone, the original Royal Vic is distinguished um, by its... Crenellated structures and romantic turrets framing generous sun porches at the corners of its imposing medical and surgical wards. Damn it, I wish uh, I had gotten med- the pictures together. Right? From a medical perspective, the, um, his design of the Royal Vic was influenced by the ideas of Florence Nightingale as a mm. pavilion hospital, in which the separation and isolation of both patients and diseases were thought to discourage the spread of infection. Uh, the original part of the building was completed in 1893. Um, the Hersey Pavilion, also known as the H Pavilion, was one of the first purpose-built nurse, nurses' residents in Canada. Um, it is located on the hospital campus and was constructed in 1905. Cool, okay. The hospital, um, yeah, so that was like one of the first times they built like a nurse's place to live at, like actually right next to the hospital. That's cool. Um, the hospital had an out door pool yeah and patio located between the hersey pavilion and the allen memorial institute the psychiatric wing of the hospital oh, okay um which we'll get more into later yay uh, i love psychiatric hospital. wings <laughs> right it's the best they're the best um the royal victoria hospital was established in the historic green square mile through donations of two public spirited scottish immigrants uh the cousins donald smith uh, First Lord Strathcona and George Stephan, First Lord Mount Stephan. Uh, in 1887, they announced a joint gift of one million Canadian uh, for the construction of a free hospital in Montreal and purchased a site on Mount Royal 
um, for a further 86,000 Canadian. God, I wish I had that kind of money to be like, here's some money, build a hospital. (laughs) (laughs) Also, if I had the title of lady. Yeah. (laughs) was part of an old estate that covered 10 acres of land. Uh, During 1897 and 1898, Smith and Stephan gave another uh, Canadian 1 million between them in Great Northern Railroad Securities to establish an endowment fund to maintain the hospital. Wow. Uh, Stephan and Smith attached one caveat to their generous contribution to the city of Montreal. Oh, Uh, there's a catch with everything. And it's, yeah, the hospital's land and its buildings must only ever be used for healing. Um. The founders intended the Royal Vic to be for the use of the sick and ailing without distinction of race or creed. And when it opened in 1893, it was hailed as the finest and most perfectly equipped hospital on the great American continent. Wow. The hospital origin. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's oh, like, it was crap. It was the shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this sounds amazing. Right. The hospital originally had 150 employees, including 14 medical doctors. Over the years, the philanthropy and business acumen of many of the residents of the Golden Square Mile, the prominent members of Montreal's English-speaking community, brought the hospital global recognition as a major center of healthcare and learning. Um, in 1920, the hospital became a medical research institute um, through the McGill University. Um, in 1929, Dr. Wilder Penfield established the Montreal Neurological Institute adjacent to the hospital. Among the list of medical achievements at the Royal Victoria was the first successful kidney transplant in the Commonwealth in 1958. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty cool. However, <laughs> um, the CIA funded brainwashing experiments that were carried out at the hospital in the 40s, 50s, and 60s that ruined the lives of many of the patients. Okay. I was like, this doesn't sound like it's going to lead to ghosts, but never mind, you took a turn. (laughs) Right. Um, All right, so doses of LSD were given through an IV, drug-induced comas lasting two months, amnesia brought on by drugs, psychological torture, None of these actions seem possible in an accepting liberal city like Montreal. Um, However, during the late 1950s, Dr. Ian Cameron was the director of the renowned Allen Memorial Institute, the psychiatric department uh, of the hospital. Okay. So on the surface, Cameron was conducting esteemed academic research on the human mind for the benefit of his psychologically afflicted patients. So, of course... People can contest the MK Ultra affiliation, right. um, but these experiments did take place for sure. I did see so, some of that but, in my research, but I kind of glossed right over it. I have no idea. Like, I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> okay, well, it's not great. Oh, cool. <laughs> just we could just start there again. That's uh, a sticker. That's not great. <laughs> right. That's not great. So, commissioned by the CIA to create an effective brainwashing technique with partial funding from the Canadian government, Dr. Ian Cameron subjected his patients to a new form of psychological torture, which went on to serve as the basis for the Kubark Counterintelligence Interrogation Handbook, essentially the CIA's textbook on torture. Wait, I have a question. The United Mm -hmm. States CIA got this Canadian hospital 
to to do this stuff. Am I is that yeah. correct? Our CIA yeah. got Canada yeah. to think this was a good idea. Well, the CIA actually technically isn't supposed to operate like operations on American soil, so supposedly. Oh. Okay. Um, all right. So the motive okay. for MK Ultra, if people aren't familiar, is um, the CIA wanted to create double agents or super soldiers who had been psychologically altered to fulfill a function, then forget it ever happened, thus making interrogation impossible. Okay. Um, and this is, yeah, the basis for MK Ultra. Okay. Um, but developing such a method would require unorthodox experimentation, and the CIA feared the backlash that they may receive for funding the use of experimental drugs and dangerous forms of therapy on citizens. I so can't imagine. Some, so weird, right? So after some preliminary ex, um, experimentation, the CIA decided to take the project of brainwashing and reconditioning the human mind beyond the borders of the United States. And in Montreal, the CIA found the perfect place and person for the project. Canadians will do it. It's fine. (laughs) They're so nice, eh? No, but they never say no. Give me a fucking Jesus. Sorry, guys. Go on. We're going to torture you, eh? Uh, A Scottish born psychiatrist, (laughs) McGill University's archives, uh, described Cameron as a figure of psychiatric proficiency, noting his role in advancing psychiatric training through undergraduate curricula and teaching hospital programs. So many of his contemporaries would have said the same as Cameron was quite famous, renowned and revered in academic circles. Um, Anne Collins, author of In the Sleep Room, notes that Cameron stood as a pillar of psychiatry psychiatry in North America once made the director of the Allen Cameron had achieved a godlike status in the psychiatric community able to make or break a person's career while having the autonomy to perform research unsupervised and without needing approval it was Cameron's already ongoing research at the Allen that drew the CIA's interest inherently impatient Cameron sought to find a cure for schizophrenia one that would be speedy and effective To do so, Cameron developed the theory of differential amnesia, a practice of erasing a person's memories in hopes that when their memories returned, their schizophrenic behavior wouldn't come back. Like they'd forget to be schizophrenic. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I don't mean to laugh, but it's kind of funny. I mean, kind of, because I was just thinking, I'm like, that's kind of not the same thing. That's like a different region of the brain even i believe i'm not why i right took two psychology courses but responsible for um it's the i'm I'm probably mispronouncing bronchi bronchi and warners whatever that little part yeah that is responsible for because people that have schizophrenia they actually see and hear those things right because that acts up that section of the brain okay yeah that's Uh, not memory that's Okay, go on. It was it was the forties. No. It's the part of your brain that's responsible for hearing and um, seeing in it. Auditory. Okay. It lights up when people are having schizophrenic episodes. Episodes. Okay. Yeah. But so Cameron had almost no. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, forget it. All right, just right. Okay. just keep you going. Just, I, hey, you I forget s- about it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I f- this is awful. I feel like I kind of want to forget about it because I have so many questions. Go on. All right, go on. <laughs> All right. Cameron had almost no evidence to support his theory. That's shocking. But it interested the CIA nonetheless. 
the agency wanted to see where Cameron's work could go, speculating that if the doctor could effectively erase a person's mind and instill new patterns of behavior, a process called psychic driving, as he claimed to be able to do, they could apply the method to create sleeper agents. So in Cameron, the CIA had found the perfect leader for their project, uh, equipped with his own research institute and already conducting rather extreme and unusual experiments on his current patients, one could argue that the CIA's prompt to further Cameron's research wouldn't even have been needed. Um, but nevertheless, the CIA did commission Cameron to advance his methods, and so MKUltra Subproject 68 was born. Damn. Uh, officially sanctioned on March 18, 1957, MKUltra Subproject 68, that is a mouthful, lasted for two years, with Dr. Cameron receiving annual funding of $20,000. Whoa, slow so down. <laughs> Twenty grand. Right? wow. <laughs> but well, I suppose back then, back then it was a lot of money, yeah. I wonder what the currency conversion was, though. <laughs> I have no idea. So the project's main objective and the doctor's was to find a chemical agent that would break down, beha- break down patterns of behavior or a person's personality and memory, while also inserting new behaviors and mindsets. Five drugs were listed to be used, either alone or in combination, including potent hallucinogenic LSD. After considerable experimentation, Dr. Cameron managed to create an official procedure to create lasting changes in a patient's behavior that, in what was deemed successful cases, caused the patient to act differently for up to two months. Uh, Broken into four parts, Cameron's procedure was as follows. Um, He would use intensive electroshocks to break down a patient's behavior Um, Then there would be forced listening of a repetitive verbal signal for 16 hours a day over six to seven days. Fuck that. Um, Yeah. That would be... We're going to have you listen to It's a Small World for 16 hours. Right? Oh, my God. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. No. It's not cool. Uh Uh-uh. Covering of the eyes and ears in order to deprive the senses during the intensive repetition. You'd hate um, that. And putting the patient, oh my God, so much, <laughs> putting the patient into a drug-induced coma that I could deal with, with I, sleep periods lasting seven to ten days. <laughs> I mean, that sounds kind of amazing. I'd love a good coma right now. <laughs> I could use about a seven-day sleep. I could use about a hundred-hour <laughs> coma right now. <laughs> Although I would be a little fearful as to what I would wake up to if I was asleep for seven days. In your dreams, dude, if you just took a ton of LSD, it'd be fucked up. Um, So by April 23rd, 1959, over 100 individuals were subjected to the project procedure. Um, In practice, the experiments enacted by Cameron onto his unwitting patients who had no idea they were guinea pigs in a CIA-funded experiment were were just terrific. Oh, my Um, God. Yeah, so even though, like, in the 50s, electroshock therapy was common. Sure. Generally, a doctor would administer a 110-volt shock for less than a second around once a day. So since he, Cameron, wanted to speed up the process... He increased it to 150 volts, and he would shock them two to three times a day for 30 days. Fuck that! Yeah, so if patients showed signs of confusion or a bad reaction, a sign you should normally stop the electroshock therapy, um, Cameron was delighted seeing the negative effects as a positive sign that the treatment was working. 
Um, Cameron's intense repetition process uh, was equally extreme. So first the patients would have their scent. We told they covered the eyes and the ears. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he would give them drugs. Um, you make them listen to, it's a small world for six days or whatever. Uh-huh. So using curare, which causes the paralysis of bodily functions, Cameron ensured his patients were entirely subdued and helpless. No. Like while they were getting, like covering their eyes from their ears, then making their whole body paralyzed. And so they couldn't fight and shit over and over again. Yeah, nothing. And not one of them consented. No. A hundred people. You know what it reminds me of is like the comfortably numb. Is it comfortably numb? Yeah. The video from Pink Floyd. Yeah. Yeah. Or I think Metallica is one like that too. You know, this guy, this guy actually reminds me of, I don't know if you've seen Nurse Ratchet on Netflix with your girl, Sarah Uh -uh. Paulson. No. So she goes to work at a psychiatric hospital and the head doctor there is doing this new experiment, lobotomies. And so like Mm -hmm. this, he's, he's real kind of into like exploratory treatments and so the you, more you talk about this doctor the more i'm like that sounds like that dude in nurse ratchet <laughs> Not yeah great. it's yeah it, does, it doesn't get better um the cool. verbal signals cameron forced drugged patients to listen to for a majority of the day were uniquely sadistic to get rid of unwanted behavior cameron subjected his helpless patients to recordings of negative statements uh, a recovered recording included statements like you let your mother check you up sexually after every day you have the boy and you don't seem to keep a good relationship with your husband. (laughs) There were ones that said like your mother hates you. They're awesome. So to ensure the reconditioning stuck, according to Cameron's reasoning, patients were placed into periods of the the long sleep. Um, Yeah. In one case, a patient was forced into a state of sleep for 65 days. Okay. That's even a little bit too long for me. I mean, Uh, just a good 30 day (laughs) nap. It's good. It's good. Anything more than 30 days is excessive. I think I would just be, you know, when you sleep too much and you're still tired when you wake up, I feel like 65 Mm -hmm. days would be that amount. I think it would be too. A 30 day or Uh, 100 hour coma is yeah. It's just too much. So a large majority of these experiments occurred occurred in what was referred to as the sleep room by patients. Despite being kept in a childlike state due to the mass amount of drugs they got, uh, patients still knew to fear the sleep room. Their collective terror was so intense, patients would walk with their back to the wall when passing the door to the sleep room. Um, Yeah. So LSD obviously played a role in his work with shots um, of the drugs given to patients in isolation. One account tells of how Cameron would give a female patient referred to as Mrs. Orakow a shot of LSD paired with a stimulant or depressant, then leave her alone in her room with a recording of her past session with the doctor playing. Oh my God. She 14 sh- yeah. In total, she received 14 shots of LSD, terrified by the experience every time. Um, she asked if the treatment could be stopped, but he talked her out of it with the patient later commenting, I thought he was God and she would have done anything her esteemed psychiatrist recommended. Um, Val Orlando told a similar tale. 
Yeah, recounting how she received LSD through an IV and the intense fear she experienced from the hallucinations and sensations. Um, and no one had asked her, obviously, if she consented. Um, commenting on the state of the patients in general, Orleco described herself and her peers as crying, disoriented babies. When documented, success of this treatment, as noted by Cameron, describes a patient who had lost all of his psych- uh, schizophrenic behaviors, but there was a price to pay as the develop nine other new ones right <laughs> no we got complete amnesia to everything <gasps> yeah and a like lot even of his family and who he was thing. everything complete amnesia amnesia for all events in his life jesus yeah so of his patients 60 percent experienced amnesia for a full six months to 10 years after leaving the allen some patients never recovered needing the aid of lists to remember to perform even the simplest tasks like household chores. Um, Gail Kastner, who received 100000 in reparations from a lawsuit against her CIA that was settled out of court. A hundred that tall man giving her electroshocks. Um, originally inducted as a patient at the age of 19 for mild depression, Gail's life afterwards was riddled with drug addiction problems, hospital visits, and irreparable brain damage. Jesus um, H. Sh- yeah, for real. Esther Schreier, originally sent to Allen to deal with the depression she faced after losing her baby, lost her ability to be a mother after leaving Cameron's care. Despite giving birth to a new baby, she wasn't able to care for the child and only went on to lead a somewhat normal life thanks to the support of her husband and family. Uh, Bevan Weldon's mother died in his arms, and the trauma affected him so deeply that he went to the Allen to get treatment. Um, Weldon experienced an entire disassociation of his former self afterwards. Kept in a coma for 21 days, Weldon lost the memory of his mother's death, which never returned even 50 years later. Uh, Cameron essentially took that part of Weldon's life from him because, as Weldon put it, life is memory. Um, It's important to note that at some point... Yeah, whether originally or after the project had started, the Canadian government did become involved with, sanctioned, and helped fund the project. Um, the exact level of involvement is unknown, um, but you know, people say conspiracy theory that they kept funding something like this after this one officially sure. ended. Yeah. Um, that so. However, they did feel guilty enough to offer a hundred thousand dollars in reparations to seventy-seven former patients. Uh, nine victims of Cameron's work also received an out-of-court settlement of 750000 from the CIA uh, when they sued in the 80s. Um, but here's what's weird, right? So you can say you don't believe in it or, you know, whatever. But from May of 20 this year, um, this is part of a news article um, that states the former Roy, because they're getting ready to, they were going to court to expand. So people didn't were protesting the expansion of the hospital. Right. Um, because you know, they use it as part of the university now. Right. And, um, so this is when that went to court. Um, so the former Royal Victoria hospital site is one step closer to becoming, um, a research facility, uh, following hearings last September, um, by the, by the, I don't know, the Office of like Public Consultation of Montreal. Um, okay. All right. So 
There's a recommendation that we keep a lot of public spaces in the site, said Montreal Mayor, uh, saying that is very important for her. They also noted the possible presence of indigenous graves be treated with deference. A group called the Mohawk Mothers, however, who raised concerns about the possibility of graves of indigenous children on the site is not satisfied. That project should be stopped and we need to have an investigation on those lands, group member member Quitio told, told Global News. Uh, the group believes that the bodies may be linked to controversial psychological experiments conducted there in the 50s and 60s. That A thousand percent. From the Canadian government and the United States CIA. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, so people are still talking about those experiments that there's unmarked graves all over there. And particularly, obviously, and as we all know happens all the time is that Minorities, especially indigenous populations, are used for right. experimentation at a greater rate, right? So, well, and here's the thing. Okay, so you are talking about how he had a hundred patients that he did this to. How many other patients were there that weren't counted as part oh, of yeah. the hundred so, that, like, maybe mm-hmm. didn't get as far as some of these other unfortunate souls? How many of those people? Did died in the first like electroshock treatment and then just were buried wherever on the property. Well, yeah. I mean, if he's doing it that much, yeah, you know, people's bodies are going to give out. You know, he probably, mm-hmm. I'm sure, experimented with going further. What is, you know, sure. okay, where do I have to stop? Um, right. Find out what will kill them. Is too much. Yeah, yeah. Find out what will kill them and then back that off. Uh huh. Exactly. How many so people did that it happen sounds to? So like Dr. Frankenstein, fucking the scariest shit you've ever heard of. Yeah. Um, but regardless of whether people believe this is part of MK Ultra or not, um, like he, before he died, he even said like, you know, that he took a wrong turn in his um, research, we'll call it. Um, Yikes. But yeah so i mean this kind of stuff still happened to people that were there Mm -hmm. so regardless if you believe the ties the government kind of conspiracy theory ties but regardless it did happen yeah it did happen jesus laura plus our normal you know things that happen in hospitals starting from the 1900s wow good times this one is good times Sounds like it. Sounds like it. Yeah. No. Well, that's my story. And oh, uh, oh, okay. I mean, sure. I mean, who wouldn't want to follow that? <laughs> I mean, anytime I get to talk about MK Ultra and crazy experiments, you know, I'm gonna take it. You know, like, I know. I <laughs> uh, yeah, a thousand percent. And we were actually um, had discussed covering MK Ultra on the show, which maybe now this leads into a more in depth. Um, discussion about it, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have, I have, I need to, this is in my way. I'm sorry. I'm just looking all over to put this box so I can reach my stream deck. Um, okay. Well, that, uh, certainly lends to why this place is haunted. And we will get, um, into the ghosts here in just a second. For all of you guys, though, it'll be in the blink of an eye. We will be right back. Okay, so the ghosts. Um, I've got more stories than, like, you know, 
normal in this particular episode. Mm-hmm. Um, my sources for this one, guys, are hauntedmontreal.com and dailyhive.com. Um, these stories are kind of hella creeps, to be perfectly honest with you. So some patients have had very strange and frightening experiences at the old Royal Victoria Hospital. Uh, According to various testimonials, it was not exactly the best hospital for peace of mind while trying to recover. Um, As Laura so detailed uh, told us in such detail is the better grammar. I'll hear from Aaron on this. Watch. Um, Anyway. So aside from all of the psychological craziness that was going on way over there in that wing, people, when you go to hospitals, hospitals are just known for trauma and death. So aside from all of that nonsense that was going on over there that you were talking about, there were people that that, that did go there that like either suffered a, a heart attack they weren't aware of and died or, you know, gunshots, stabbings, any kind of trauma or even just like people that were really sick went to the hospital and died. Hospitals are notorious for things like that. So it's not surprising that there were ghosts. You kind of amped up the fucking ghost part of it with your uh history so yeah there's yeah. a lot of bad shit that happened there so besides, there's a, like i said you're, you have your normal stuff but i just thought i found those experiments so crazy compelling well yeah. and, s- and it, it reminds me a lot of probably the energy that you're you we had like a trans allegheny yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah um and there as you were talking and going on and talking about these patients and what they were going through I thought of one of the stories that um, I'm going to talk about, and I thought, mm, I wonder if that had anything to do with it. But anyway, let me let me tell you. So there was one particular squeamish woman who was a surgery patient in 1996 at the hospital. Um, so she had written of her experience and on this website that's now defunct called hauntednorthamerica.net. But basically, what she said was she disliked hospitals and she wasn't pleased to hear rumors of hauntings at the Royal Vic. Following her surgery, she had several, several bizarre experiences. Um, She stated, quote, in bed, I woke up to a huge pool of blood on my bed and my pajamas. Thinking my stitches had opened up, I rang the nurses. One nurse came, then a second, then a third. They were baffled. My bandage was intact, no blood anywhere on my skin. So they decided to remove my bandage, thinking that there was perhaps a leak somewhere around it. Once they removed it, everything was fine. I wasn't bleeding from anywhere, so it was very strange. My entire body showed no sign of blood loss at all, yet my pajamas and my bed was full of it. Uh Uh-huh. That nurses actually saw. Yeah. But yet it came from nowhere. Later, after some blood work, the doctor found I had dangerously um, high anemia and needed two pints of a transfusion. So she was extremely anemic, which results in is a is a is a common byproduct of blood loss. Mm -hmm. And she needed two pints of a transfusion. What? But yet everything seemed fine. 
That is really weird. Weird. So despite uh-huh. being disturbed, she described the uncanny experience as a good thing, stating for some odd reason it may have saved my life. So during her recovery period, she had another paranormal experience. This time she had to visit the nurse's station for a follow-up procedure. And she said, quote, so there I was walking the hall, just a little walk up and down the hall, minding my own business. I never chatted with anyone on that floor. And I do remember when I had Koi, I had a C-section. And almost immediately after I had him, they had me up and walking around so that I wouldn't get blood clots in my legs and things like that. And it was so mm. difficult. So I was pushing Koi in his little plastic bin. Um, but I still call it that. And Jennifer's like, it makes it sound like you got Koi at the dollar store. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do the same thing with Zane after. Yes. Yeah. Like the or whatever. Yes, exactly. So you, you, they make you get up and they make you walk right away. Mm-hmm. So I remember walking around the nurse's station as slow as I possibly could. I was thinking as I was walking him, I was like, my 90-year-old grandmother is going to blaze trails around me. <laughs> because I w- it was so painful. So I thought about that when I was reading this. So she had to get up and walk a little bit down the ha- hallway. Um Then suddenly, this old lady was standing beside one of the doorways of a room holding that long metal thing we drag with us, which holds our IV drip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the old lady spoke to her and said, you really want to get, you really want to get out of here, don't you? And so the woman said she was a little freaked out by what the old woman said, because she had never seen her before or after. And there was no possible mm-hmm. way she could have known what she was thinking. Which was exactly that. I want to get out of here. I don't want to, you know. Nobody wants to fucking stay in a hospital. Um, Never. Never, never. And certainly not for a 100 hour or 60 day coma. (laughs) Just a wee nap. (laughs) Just a wee nap. Um, So she continues, quote, and a strange feeling went through me like I just knew I shouldn't be replying. I just felt this. For some strange reason, I knew I should not be talking to her. The nurse's station was close by, and it was more like a feeling that the nurses shouldn't see me talking with her. So I just nodded my head slightly. The old lady then advised her, quote, straighten your back and walk as fast as you can in front of the nurse's station. It's going to hurt, but you'll then be out in no time. Huh. Yeah. So the woman took a deep breath. She pulled herself up straight and she walked the dozen steps to the nurse's station as fast as, it, as she could. She said while the procedure and the recovery did hurt really badly, she was pleased that afternoon when a doctor came to see her and told her she could go home, which surprised her because she had not been due to be released for several days. Oh, wow. Hey. But this woman was like, hey, if they see, basically, if they see you, Hercules, I'm getting there. Um, <laughs> basically, the, the old lady was like, if the nurses see you walking well, they'll tell the doctor and then you can, the doctor will release you if you want to get out of here. So it just kind of makes me wonder if maybe this little old lady wasn't like, 
one of the patients in the psychedelic, you know, you know, those patients wanted to get out and tried to figure mm-hmm. out ways to get out before they went to the sleep room. Yeah, Maybe this no lady shit. was one of them. So she, the woman credited her, credited her early release to the old woman, woman's advice. And she began to think of the old lady as a ghost stating back at home. I couldn't understand why I never talked to her. If I felt like, if I had talked to her, the nurses would have seen me talking to a wall. So apparently this woman looked flesh and blood, like looked very corporeal. There, She wasn't translucent. She wasn't a shadow. She wasn't like, you know, missing her legs or just kind of floating there. She looked like an actual flesh and blood person, um, which a lot of people state when they have seen ghosts, they look like that too. So a few months later, she had to go back to the Royal Victoria Hospital for a routine follow-up, but her appointment was on a different floor. At the time, there was construction in the hospital that affected the elevators. So as she was going up to the floor where her appointment was scheduled, the elevator suddenly stopped at the floor where she had encountered the ghostly old woman. When the doors opened, she was startled when she spotted the same IV pole in the same exact location where she had first encountered the mysterious old lady. So she admitted that that was just weird. It was like some sort of reminder, her stepping off the elevator and then seeing that same IV pole exactly where she had seen the old lady, which by the way, was that a ghost IV pole? Why didn't they put that away? It had been several weeks since her surgery for her follow-up. That would never just be like, yeah, they don't just leave that shit sitting around. Unless it was a new one and it just happened to be set there. Like, right. I don't know there. I've, I've got so many questions, but anyway, Yeah. So that was her story, which I found really interesting and kind of weird. This next one um, is about a painting, which is gross. I think I would be like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) Um, so hanging upon the walls of a patient's ward in the Ross Pavilion of the Royal Victoria Hospital was once a unique painting. The scene was of a house and a beautiful landscape. But it had been reported by patients that and staff that sometimes an old lady appeared in the window looking out. Ugh. What? Of a painting. In the inside the painting? Yes, so it was a painting of a house, and people, uh, patients and staff would would report that there was a woman peering out of the window in the painted house. I Oh, that's fucking weird. Isn't that fucking weird? It, it, mm. Mm, yeah, it does remind me of a Charmed episode um, where uh, there was a haunted painting and they could see somebody peering out of the windows in this house, in this painting. And I was like, hey, that's like the Charmed episode. Gross. Yeah. I don't love that idea. So I keep like looking at some of my pictures around and I'm like, is anybody looking at me through any of the, like, that would be just utterly creepy, I think. Um, It's going to be me. Right? I need to take down all my pictures of Laura. Um, So at times, patients said they saw an old lady coming out of the house and looking around before going back into the home. Uh, the painting so was... The got shit to do. <laughs> <laughs> right? Are my flowers watered? I mean, a home ownership is no joke, guys. For real. Um, apparently, the painting was so disturbing to so many people um, that the they decided to remove it from the wall and put it in storage. 
How funny, though. Absolutely crazy. Um, So this next one is called Ghosts of the the Royal Victoria Hospital. And it described an exhausted nurse who was harassed by a wispy, malevolent spirit while trying to take a nap on a couch. So apparently... One night at the hospital, a nurse was taking a break. While lying on a couch, she saw an apparition standing over her, which she described as a white, smoky light. She got up to take a better look at it and told it to go away. Like, you know you've been that tired where, like, whatever it is, weird or not, you're like, get out of here. Go away. Even if it's, like, (laughs) a hungry child or an animal or something. Um, I'm too tired for this. I can't deal. So when it didn't move, she proceeded to pass her hand through the apparition several times, trying to disperse the white fog. (laughs) (laughs) She needs an MK Ultra nap. (laughs) Amen. Eventually, it did go away, but it came back with two other apparitions. So it was like, listen, this lady basically bitch slapped me repeatedly and I need you guys to come (laughs) with me. Um, The woman tried to scream, but nothing came out. The apparitions finally left, but the nurse never rested on that couch again. (laughs) Uh, Crazy. Mm -mm -mm. The next one, this one is kind of gross. Uh, It's called Locked Door. So a patient had apparently just passed away in the M5 cardiac of the Royal Victoria Hospital. The staff arranged him and closed the door as they waited for his family um, to arrive. Later, they realized the door of the room was locked from the inside. And that's the only way the door would lock. There was no like key. Um, Mm -hmm. No one was in the room except for the dead patient. Security had to come and get the door open. Uh, the staff thought that the patient did not want his family to see him like that. So he was the one that locked the door. Mm. Oh, that's... Mm. Right? Um, visitors also sometimes report seeing apparitions of former patients wandering the hallways, wearing antiquated hospital gowns from the late 1800s, which I thought was a really interesting detail. Um, cool. yeah. yeah. Disembodied voices and phantom footsteps can sometimes be heard echoing down the hospital corridors. Buzzers will often go off in empty rooms, summoning nurses to non-existent patients. Strange light anomalies such as floating orbs and flickering lights are also known to appear on occasion. And the general consensus of the building and the function that it used to serve is that the dead passed away here. They just did not move on. And that is what I have for the hauntings of the old Royal Victoria Hospital in Montreal. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Pretty cool, I've right? I wanted to go to Montreal, yeah. I mean, it's apparently Canada's most haunted uh, city. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So um, I thought it was really, I thought that was all just really interesting. So that is that is what we have, guys, uh, for the old Royal Victoria Hospital. I like it. I'm yeah, and that it. place has like a, yeah, like a sordid, weird and it's history so, and it's old. And- God, it's so gorgeous. And you guys, I'm really sorry. Mm. I don't have the pictures to show. So I'm going to show the title card again because I do have the building in there. Um Look at this building. 
Sorry, ignore it really that. looks like an old castle because there's like the yes, on the sides the tu- and, yes, the turrets, you know. and it's up on a hill, and mm-hmm. it's just it's just really really beautiful. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I have um, for the hauntings this week, guys. Let's get into our strange history. Strange history, as you all know, uh, my best friend Jennifer sent me this book. And it is filled with a bunch of crazy historical stories. And I read them um, at the end of every episode when I know where the book is at. So two weeks in a row now, Laura, here we go. Basically, I just kind of flip through it and see whatever I open up. And that's what I'm going to read today. It is called, Why Do We Say in a Nutshell? Do you know why? I don't, actually. Okay, let's find out. So... The ancient Greek historian Pliny the Elder was known to stretch the truth a bit, especially when it came to the poems of Homer, which themselves were historical epics that embellished the truth. In natural history, Pliny claims that a copy of Homer's Iliad written entirely on a piece of parchment had once been found inside a nutshell. There's no way this can be true. The Iliad is 15,690 lines long. (laughs) That's a big nut. Sorry, there's too many jokes there. Um, This amusing boast later became a Latin proverb, Inuse Ilias, or the Iliad in a nutshell, which expresses the same meaning it holds today. The 16th century English writer Stephen Gosson was the first to use the phrase without mentioning the Iliad, but it was popularized by frequent usage in the works of 19th century writers Charles Dickens and Robert Browning. Today, the phrase in a nutshell means a complicated concept or experience expressed succinctly. Huh. And that's that's where it came from. Pliny the Elder. They said Pliny the Elder? Mm-hmm. That's a good-ass beer, too. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you are familiar with Greek mythology and Greek history, then you're familiar with Pliny the Elder and Pliny the Younger. Um, um, which well, Or IPAs from the West Coast. Or IPAs from the <laughs> West Coast. River. Yes. Yes. So that is our strange history and our haunted uh, story for the week, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Laura, where can they follow us if they choose to do so? If you're into bad decisions, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at H-O-A-H podcast. And on the TikTok (laughs) at H-O-A-H podcast speaking of bad decisions at H-O-H Carrie <laughs> and at H-O-A-H co-host Laura <laughs> okay alright <laughs> he just gave me a look <laughs> right um, in another couple of weeks guys we may add to that TikTok list of at H-O-A-H Hercules um, <laughs> because I really do think that you're sitting on some TikTok gold with your animals and he agrees. Yeah, he he talks a lot. All right, Hercules, close it out. Let's let him know. <laughs> Stay safe out there because you never know who. Or what. It's like he knows on cue he's there. He's a good boy. Is listening. Bye, guys. 